1: So, this is a story that I haven't really told anyone, partly because elements of the story are just, well, not really appropriate in most social situations, and as a result, I've locked this away in my memory and I rarely think about it. Also, as a a bit of a disclaimer, I'm completely aware that this story involves me being very stupid and careless. I'm not going to inject these acknowledgments into the story, but rest assured that in hindsight, I'm aware of the foolishness that took place and I don't need to be chided on the topic. So, the year was about 1998 to 1999. I was a young gay guy in my early 20s, living in a medium-sized city in the Midwestern US. This was a sort of an in-between, a transitional time for gay people, where in most populous areas we had enough respect to live openly, but there were still plenty of people who just didn't like us. It was also well before the invention of smartphones and the internet was still in the early stages of mass adoption. There were large communities online, but it wasn't yet at the point where most Americans were online. In fact, online socialization consisted of chat rooms hosted by various services like AOL, Yahoo, or IRC servers, and message boards were still used by large numbers of people, but not as much as today. For gay men at that time though, it was nothing short of revolutionary. Prior to the internet, and to the broader cultural changes of course, gay men had been stuck looking for fun in secretive and or shady places due to the inability to freely express ourselves. In the 90s, it was still somewhat risky, but the internet offered a way to talk freely and relatively anonymously, without the risk of being outed or worse. For this reason, too, it really took off in the gay communities, and gay men were a very large part of the user bases for these social platforms. It was suddenly very easy and relatively safe, too, to find dates, friends, or even just a good time, and it quickly became the norm for a lot of gay men. On the other hand, being such a new communication tool for most people, we were sometimes blind to the risks, I guess you could say. Anyway, being an attractive young man in my prime, I made liberal use of the online communities to find dates. This is to say, I had plenty of hookups. My city had a decent number of chat rooms and personal message boards, and I had mostly great experiences. I met the typical assortment of good guys, closet cases, and a few weirdos too, like you'd expect. It wasn't an absolute hoe by most standards, but suffice it to say that a cute gay guy at that time could generally have a lot more dates than your typical straight person. But at some point during this time, I had some brief chat on a message board with a guy from my city. I forget his screen name, I mean it's been like over 20 years, but let's call him Slim Guy 65 So this back and forth had happened on a general thread in the gay section, not in private message boards or anything, so it was visible to anyone who chose to read the thread. Nothing had come of it, but about a week later I had received an email from an unrecognized address. The email basically said, "'Hey, I'm not gay, and I don't agree with the gay lifestyle. I'm here because my friend met this guy, Guy SlimGuy65 person from this message board, and the guy really hurt him. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. My friend tried to tell the police, but they wouldn't do anything. I see that you were talking to SlimGuy65, so just be careful and stay away from him.'" Okay, I thought, that's strange. What does this person mean by really hurt him too? Was his heart broken? Did he get beaten up or verbally abused or something? I responded to the email asking for clarification on what exactly happened, but I never really received a response. I must admit too that I I was slightly weirded out by it for sure. But on the other hand, it's an anonymous email from someone who doesn't respond and is vague about their warning. This really could be anything, right? It could be some disgruntled ex trying to mess with the guy... It could be a real warning about someone gay bashing or something it could be someone trolling who doesn't have anything to do with anyone but i kept it in the back of my mind pretty much shrugged it off in the end but it just still sort of niggled away at me several weeks later though i had a weekday off work and decided to take to the internet to fish for some well you know what as was my custom lo and behold i had an email response to a personal ad and it was slimguy65 He was offering to meet at this place to hang out and just have a good time wink wink nudge nudge i won't go into the details of course but as i recall there weren't really many details discussed other than the small talk and intros that we'd done previously nothing about this guy was really sounding interesting to me but i had no other offers on this day so i decided well why not i'll go see what this dude is about But as I typed my reply, I suddenly remembered the strange email that I'd received warning about this person. I went back and read it, still vague, still presenting more questions than answers. Should I take this anonymous warning at face value and just ignore this guy? I decided to go check him out anyway. His address was on a rather busy street in the middle of a dense residential area, not some back-of-the-woods shack or something, and I could handle myself. I thought to myself that if he's weird, then I can just get out of there. But Before long, I arrived at the house at the agreed time. It was a duplex-style house with one apartment on the ground floor and one on the second floor, part of a row of several identical duplexes. It was the middle of the afternoon by the time that I got there. There was plenty of traffic on the street and the occasional person out on their porch or in their backyard. I pulled up to the driveway to the parking area behind the house, got out, and knocked on the door. The guy that answered was a pretty normal, kind of mousy-looking man, but probably in his late 40s. Slight, slim build, soft-spoken, looked like any guy working in an office, a cubicle maybe somewhere. Not really my type, but honestly, my curiosity was piqued, and I had nothing better to do anyway, so I stepped inside to take a look around and gauge the situation. With the warning email fresh in my mind, of course. I stepped into the back door, into the kitchen. It was very clean and there was nothing out on the counters and no table and chairs or anything. This is to say that it didn't look like somebody was living there, to be honest. It looked like it had been kept up and cleaned, but for the most part it looked empty. Looking out into the apartment, I could see that it was not set up as a a living space. A large window with sliding glass was between the kitchen and the living room and I could see what looked like a large table out in the living room area. And then SG65 said something like, ''This isn't where I live. A friend of mine used to run a doctor's office here and I maintain the building for him. It's private though and we have the place to ourselves.'' Which I know was a bit weird but okay I guess. He shut the back door and locked it with a key deadbolt, the kind that you need a key to open, even from the inside and put his key back into his pocket saying, so what do you want to do? Upon seeing this too, my danger sense definitely spiked. This is not a normal home, and why was he locking the door like that? It's not necessarily suspect, I suppose. A lot of people have that sort of lock on their door, and the door actually has a window too, so it even made some sense, I suppose. But still, something just wasn't right here, and I could tell... But now I was locked in. I asked him straight up too why he was locking the door like that, which immediately flustered him. He was looking rather nervous, and his voice was a little wavering and halting—not quite stuttering, but almost, I suppose. He said, "Ah, uh, um, well, we don't want someone to come in and interrupt us, right?" Flashing a weak and unconvincing smile. His demeanor and body language were all I needed to confirm that this guy was definitely up to no good. Or at least there was something that he was hiding. However, I could tell that I was intimidating him. I was not a particularly muscular kid or anything, but I had a pretty large frame. Like, even when I'm at my very thinnest, I still wear large-sized tops and 36 waist pants, so I look pretty big, which people tend to interpret as me being stronger than I probably really am. Also, I am definitely not a tough guy at all, but I have a resting facial expression that makes me look like uh, a bit of a thug, I suppose. In fact, people who don't know me often assume that I'm rough or something. I sometimes use this to my advantage too while I can because well, before long a new acquaintance will eventually figure out that I'm a total wimp. But this was definitely an occasion to play up the tough guy appearance and I did exactly that. I put my best steely face on, and I told him to unlock the door, and that I didn't want to be locked in here like this. He looked for a moment like he was going to pee his pants, and then he said, Okay, all right, I'll unlock this, and he unlocked the deadbolt, and then, I'll just lock the knob here, okay? He turned the little dial that locks the doorknob, that was fine with me, to be honest. I continued to stare at him until he said, I'll leave the keys on the counter right here and he set the keys down near the sink. I was relatively satisfied with this answer, to be honest. At this point, though, my adrenaline was definitely flowing. I was almost in full flight or fight mode, but I was kind of stuck in place. The guy was now between me and the door, though, and I was freaked out, but this little weasel didn't appear to pose any immediate physical threat to me. I could tell that his pants pockets were empty, too, and that I was intimidating him now, But still, I didn't know exactly what to do. Now, keep in mind that despite my wordy descriptions, this all happened very quickly without any real sort of long pauses. It had only been maybe one or two minutes since I'd stepped into the door by this point, and this all happened at the pace of a conversation. The guy was obviously nervous and trying not to appear so. He said, well, let's go in. And walked a wide path around me through the kitchen into what would normally be the living room and toward the hall to the right from there. I was familiar with this floor layout. It's pretty common in this area. The hallway would lead up to two small bedrooms with a bathroom in between them. But I sort of hesitated, thinking that I should just walk out that back door and take off. But really, now I was super curious. I mean, I knew there was no way in heck that I'm doing anything with this guy at this point, but I kind of want to see what's going on in here. Also, I was pretty confident that I could take him if it came to a fight, so I slowly headed toward the living room. I remember it feeling like I was walking in slow motion, and from the kitchen entrance, I could see large rectangular stainless steel tables taking up a lot of the living room. I remember thinking, too, that this looks a lot like a surgical table. In fact, it looked like it could rise and tilt, and it also had a recessed channel running all the way around the edge. In hindsight, I now know what that was. It was 100% a mortician's table. The dude had a mortician's table in there. But at that time, I just thought it looked like a weird medical table of some sort. There were some other office-typey sort of cabinets too and stuff around, I think, but now all I really remember is that table in that room. And then I noticed that the large front window looking out onto the street was covered by vertical blinds that were closed. SG 65 said something like, This used to be a doctor's office. Like I said, come on back here. The hallway revealed the room setup that I expected. The first bedroom was closed, the second bedroom was open to a small, very clean bathroom. At the end of the hall was the other bedroom, which looked like, if the doctor's office story was true, had at one time been converted to an exam room. He said, we can go into that room if you want, go ahead, take a look. And he stayed by the other closed bedroom door. The back bedroom door was open and I could see that the walls were covered in a sort of honey-coloured wood panelling, the type you might see in a den or an office that hasn't been updated since, like, the 1970s. I slowly took a few steps down to that door, trying to be very aware of what Mr. Creepy was doing behind me, but he didn't move. When I got up to that room though, the first thing that I noticed was the door had a sort of key deadbolt lock, like the back door. But this room, it locked from the outside. I wondered if there was a lever on the inside or something, but I pretty much knew the answer to that question without needing to check, because I also saw a chair... A non-swivelling plastic desk chair with sort of thin metal legs sitting near the center of the room. The room had old dark carpet and those wood panelled walls like I mentioned. And I noticed that the walls were completely panelled with no windows. And I know that the room had at least one window, probably two, so whoever did that panelling went over those windows for sure. There was also a phone in there plugged in and sitting on the floor. It was an old office phone, probably from around the 80s or early 90s. Dingy sort of beige plastic with several buttons to manage different phone lines. Just sitting on the carpet near the wall, with the chair at a slight distance facing the phone. And apart from that, there was nothing else in that room. I was sort of standing at the threshold of the room, with one foot slightly in, absolutely not going past that door. And I looked back at the dude... He was still standing by the other door, just nervously smiling at me. Trying hard to look casual, I suppose, but obviously very nervous. Or something. He said something like, Well, what do you want to do? But instead of answering, I felt around the backside of the deadbolt lock. And sure enough, there was nothing there but the smooth wood of the door. It also dawned on me that... I didn't see a light switch anywhere for the ceiling lamp. and Where was the switch? Who knows? It should have been just inside the door, of course, but that original switch was covered up by the panelling now. He mumbled something about not having the key to that lock. Don't worry about it. I turned back to face the guy and just said, What is it that you want to do here? My skin had gone ice cold at this point as I realized that I was way, way too far into this apartment. In fact, it was at this point that I was running through my options in my head. What was this guy going to do? He doesn't appear to have any weapon or anything in reach, but who knows what goes on in this place? What are you trying to do? That last part too, I actually said out loud and he was almost totally derailed by that. He stammered out. "Uh." Some hot uh, man-to-man's fun stuff. With the weakest smile that I've ever seen, looking like he was just a hair's breadth away from fully panicking. I know too that it sounds a bit comical, but really, at that time, that sentence was probably the most chilling part of the entire experience for me. It was just the way that he said it, like he had come up with something on the fly, like something that would sound plausible, but yet he failed. And I mean, who says that in real life? Hey, do you want to have some hot man-to-man fun? (sighs) Nobody, right? It's sort of like something you might say for a cheesy advertisement for an inappropriate site or something like that. Some hot man-to-man fun. (sighs) Gross, right? Anyway, that was it. I said to him, no, I just want to go and I'm leaving. And he said, okay. I quickly walked past him as he flattened himself against the wall to avoid me and I noped right out of that living room dissection area and through the kitchen to the back door, which thankfully still had not been deadbolted. The keys were still on the counter and I let myself out the door and I didn't bother closing that as I saw him slowly coming to the door behind me. I deliberately walked out, not ran, to my car and looking back at the building I can see that indeed... There was actually a window facing the backyard area from that panelled room, but of course it was covered up from the inside. And the dude was shutting and locking the back door. Truthfully, in the end too, I left with my heart pounding, my skin icy cold, my heart in my throat thinking, what the heck was that? So... Was this guy some kind of a killer or was he just an awkward closeted gay guy with access to a sterile looking apartment with an autopsy mortuary table and a windowless room that locks from the outside with a chair and a phone and no light switch? It's clear to me that the poor soul who walks into that room probably gets locked in there and then he shuts off the light from somewhere and calls the phone. But other than that, it's anyone's guess what actually happens. I assumed that the friend of the judgmental person who emailed me must have been some kid that got locked in there for whatever game and shoes. But driving home at first, I thought, of course I have to call the police and tell them what's in this place. But thinking it through, I realized that I didn't really have any crime to tell them about. I mean, what do I say? I went to meet a man for some casual fun and what? I mean he has a room with a chair in it. He has, as I thought at the time, an exam table. The the police aren't going to do anything with that story. The guy didn't touch me or do anything to me and in the end I just left. I considered calling an anonymous tip line but again what exactly would I report? There was no actionable crime, and also keep in mind that at that time, while the local police in the city were pretty decent, they, they weren't especially interested in getting involved with helping gays. They'd prosecute actual crimes if it was cut and dry, of course, but I'd heard plenty of accounts of them not choosing to follow up on cases where there was not an easy arrest to be made. And so, in the end, I decided not to report anything because nothing would come of it, except perhaps drawing unwanted attention to myself. And you know what even in retrospect i honestly think that that was probably the most rational choice to make if this happened today in 2020 the law enforcement would probably be a a lot more interested in it but back then not so much and so live and learn right i still drove past that house once in a while in the normal course of life for like several years and i'd always pay attention to how it looked the vertical blinds were closed for maybe five or six years whenever I went past and then eventually the blinds were down and there were decorative curtains in the window so I assumed that the place was eventually sold to someone who actually lived in it but around 2002 maybe 2003 there was actually a murder of a young guy on the news he'd been found in the next state which borders on my city it's not very far away I recognized the guy from the gay community too but didn't know him personally. And a friend mentioned to me something about this local serial killer. I said, what? And he explained that a few young men had gone missing over the past year, each after being at one specific drive bar, and each being found several miles to the north past the state line, and also out in the country. And the case on the news actually matched up with that MO. My friend told me that the young guy had been at that bar and left with someone the night that he disappeared, And the news report didn't mention anything about a gay bar or similar recent cases, of course, but I had to wonder if my acquaintance from the internet had something to do with it. The location of the murders apparently were nowhere near that duplex, at least according to the story that I was told, but I never heard of a resolution to that murder on the news or any official mention of a suspected serial killer, other than some gossip of course. And so, in the end, I am just left scratching my head. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units, and with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Families have a lot going on.
1: When i was a kid my parents and i lived in a small mobile home in a plot that was across the street from the local cemetery although i don't remember much about living there my parents and other family members have told me the stories i do remember my dad and my mom arguing in the middle of the night one time i remember my dad asking my mum, why are you washing the clothes at this hour at the night my mom arguing back that she wasn't but we could hear the washer and the dryer running I remember coming home and my parents freaking out because all the cabinets and the drawers were open. They assumed someone had broken into the house, but nothing was ever missing. I do remember one night though where multiple shadows entered my room and they were standing over my bed. I remember thinking it was my mum until moments later, the lights turned on and my mum walked in to check on me. I was so freaked out that I never slept in my own bed again after that until I was about 9 years old. There's a scene in the fourth kind too that made me have a breakdown because it honestly felt like a flashback. And these are the things that I do remember. But the rest of this story was told to me by my parents, my grandparents, church pastor, and also there's a police report about it. So one night my parents were outside having a few drinks and I was inside watching the TV. I must have been around five or six years old but... Suddenly, my parents heard me crying in pain and ran into the house to see what was happening. They saw me huddled over crying and screaming and my mum ran over to me to start asking me what was wrong. She then lifted my shirt to see if something was biting me and there was nothing but my skin was being pulled in pinches as if it was rubber. My parents were panicking and they ran to get to the phone to call for help but the moment my dad reached for the phone, the pinching stopped and The front door slammed open as if someone had just run out. My dad then ran outside to see if he could see anything, but there was nothing there. Suddenly, he started hearing a sort of growling coming from under the mobile home, and when he looked, all that he could see was some red bloodshot eyes staring at him and growing. My dad, in a complete panic, pulled out his gun and started shooting at whatever this thing was. This caught the attention of a police officer close by who pulled up in front of the house and pulled his gun out on my dad. My dad quickly dropped his gun and told the officer, Hey man, I'm sorry, but something just attacked my son and it's under the trailer. Before the officer could even look, a creature jumped out from under the mobile home, jumped the fence and started running. The police officer jumped back into his car and started chasing this thing. And at this point, my parents were completely terrified and since they had no car at the time they called a friend of my dad's and asked them for a ride to my grandparents house. Once my friend got there my dad loaded us into the car and was getting ready to leave when the police officer returned. The police officer told my parents I followed that thing for about half a mile and then it just vanished. I don't know what it was but I suggest that you leave the area for a time being in case it returns." My mum actually said that she had never heard a police officer sound so terrified in her life before. As we were driving down the road, my dad's friend looks at the rearview mirror and asks my parents, Hey, do you guys see that thing running after us? What is that? And at that point, the truck jumped as if something had just landed on the cargo bed. My mum started yelling in pain as the back of her hand was being pinched and pulled as my skin had been earlier. This continued, too, until my parents reached my grandparents' property. Now, my grandparents have always been super religious. They're one of the founding members of their church and used to host Sunday mass at their home before the church had enough saved to buy a building and stuff. And the moment my mum walked into the front gate, the pinching and the pulling immediately stopped. My parents ran into my grandparents' home screaming and crying. My grandparents automatically assumed that my parents were either drunk or on some kind of a drug, but once they saw the look on all of their eyes, they decided to call the pastor immediately. As soon as the pastor arrived, their words were, I don't know what's going on and I don't want to panic you, but I feel like something extremely hostile right outside of this home is sitting there. They immediately started praying. My mum says that she opened her eyes during the first prayer and looked outside the window and... She too could see those red bloodshot eyes staring into the house. That night, my mum also claims that during the middle of the night, she awoke and heard three knocks on the window. She said that she could see outside the window a tall creature walking back and forth right outside of the gate. She said that it was odd though because it was almost as if the creature couldn't enter the property or something. After that night... Things apparently calmed down and nothing ever really weird happened in that trailer again. Although my parents did move a few months later, but even the renters and the people who now live there claim that nothing has ever happened to them. But something is definitely there and I think it remembers us. The reason why I say this is because my parents drove past one night and saw three dogs jump out from the cemetery and perch themselves like birds almost on the fence watching the car drive by. I had my first ever car accident on the same street in front of this cemetery too and I just suddenly lost control of my car and crashed into a gas pipe but I still can't explain how I lost control. My grandmother has unfortunately since passed and was buried in that cemetery too and since then, thankfully, nothing has happened. I like to think that she's putting those creatures in their place, sort of acting as my guardian angel, but to be honest...
0: sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase that's shopify.com slash special offer
1: so my mom used to get these really scary phone calls at night it was always when my dad was away too for work like the caller somehow knew that he was gone the first time he called i answered the phone all i heard at first was heavy breathing And then, as I was about to hang up, a deep voice told me to put my mum on the phone. It scared me, the voice was deep and guttural, almost like a growl, and I ran and got her scared half to death. Naturally, she was upset that someone was calling after 8pm, which was a no-no in my house. Since everyone knew this too, she thought that it might be about my dad, who was in the Air Force. He was out on an assignment, and wasn't allowed to say where he was going or what he was doing, so she took the first of many calls. Here's how it went. Hello? Who is this? You want to find out? This isn't funny, okay? I'm hanging up now. Don't call back. And she hung up. The phone rings again. Hello? I can see you, you know. Oh yeah? Tell me what I'm wearing then. Well, you're wearing a black t-shirt and white underwear with black stripes. I'm calling the cops. And then she hung up again. 911, what's the emergency? Ah, yes, uh... There's a strange man who keeps calling us, and he said that he could see me and even told me what I was wearing. He even told me what my underwear looked like. I have three kids at the home, and my husband is away in the Air Force. Can you please send an officer, quickly? Of course, ma'am, but make sure all the windows and the doors are locked until a unit can get there, please. And stay away from them unless the officers are there. Okay, thank you. And then they both hung up. We all make sure that everything is closed and locked, and then the phone rings again. Uh, hello? The cops won't be able to help you. No one can help you. You're mine. Uh Excuse me? No, I am most certainly not yours, you psycho. Stop calling me. And then she hung up. The phone did ring a couple of times after this, but we didn't answer again after that. The next day we had our phone number changed and it still didn't stop him. In fact, it got worse and worse to the point that we didn't leave the house much and the phone was off the hook except for a scheduled random time that my dad would pick to call every day that he was away. But then, someone actually saw him. We never did, mind you, but the teenage boy in our neighborhood saw a man climbing the telephone pole that was three houses away and almost diagonal to ours. That's why we knew how he called us and how he could see us too. He was tapping the phone and calling from that line, and when he was found, the teenage boys chased him because they knew our situation. After that, the caller never called back, thankfully, but two years later on America's Most Wanted, a woman with kids fitting the description of my mother was found raped and murdered. Her kids, family, and friends, they all said that she had been getting strange calls from a man that she couldn't keep from calling her, even though she had changed her phone number like eight times in a year. And that somehow he knew everything about her and her family, even what they wore and who they talked to, and even when her husband was out of town, which was the only time that she got the calls. My mother called the tip line and we never actually knew if they caught him or not, but man, was it similar to our situation.